welcome to episode 473 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio. The music you're hearing right now is the song Aerodynamics. It comes from the EP release Anti-Aerodynamics Style by The Terminators. They are a Russian surf band. You can find them at theterminators.bandcamp.com. They gave us the okay to play their music here on the show. Go check them out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. They've got a number of singles that you can pick up as standalone releases. And a lot of them are really good. Okay, actually, they're all really good. I just happen to really like this song. And as always, you'll hear it in its entirety at the end of the show. I am your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. It is the final week of Lucha de Mayo 2020, which means we have another luchador-themed genre film in the wings. And you know what? I'm not going to make you wait. I'm just going to tell you right now what it is. We are talking about the movie Wrestling Women vs. the Aztec Mummy. This is a luchadora film, a film with lady luchadors, and I am excited to get to it. It's taken us how long now during these Lucha de Mayo-themed months to do a luchador film with the women? I mean, it's been too long. We've never done it. And it's about time that we're doing it this week with Mark Peterson. You might know him as the man from Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shop. That's right. Mark and I are going to talk about this film. We're going to talk a little bit about what he's got going on as well with his store, because, well, with the state of the world right now, his store is currently closed. He can't go there in person, but there are ways you can help support him. And we'll talk about that with Mark here in a little bit. And then when I got done recording with Mark, he sent me some more information about something involving his store and a number of other toy stores around the world. So you'll be hearing that update as well. Speaking of updates, I have an update that just came in. I just got this email like less than two hours ago as of when I'm recording right now. This actually comes from Ron at Monster Bash. And basically, Monster Bash has been canceled for the summer. The summer 2020 Monster Bash is not going to happen because of what's going on in that part of the country and the government restrictions regarding how to operate in public, basically, with the virus going around. And it's just going to be impossible for the Monster Bash to offer the true and full Monster Bash experience that they want to offer everybody, so it has been canceled. Now, if you were planning to go to Monster Bash this summer, if you've already bought tickets, or if you were a vendor and had a table set up, get a hold of Ron. My understanding is that they are working with everybody to make sure that, well, you can come next year. As of right now, the scheduled Summer Bash 2021 will happen June 18th through the 20th at the same place, the Doubletree in North Pittsburgh. And according to the Monster Bash website, He's already got Caroline Monroe and Victoria Price lined up for next summer's bash. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to where you can go and read the news release on the Monster Bash website about what's going on. I'm hopeful that by then this whole Corona apocalypse will be very far off in our rearview mirror and everybody can get together and just have the bash that we want to have. It's going to be hard waiting another year, but you know, better safe than sorry, right? You know, I got right into that little bit of news before I told you about the rest of the show. We have Kenny's look at famous monsters of film land, and I have an email from a listener. We'll be getting to all of that well, and everything else that we do here on Monster Kid Radio, including the monthly executive producer roll call right after this.
Why, howdy, partner. How can I help you today? I'm looking for a movie to watch, but I... What in tarnation was that? Never you mind, son. Now let's focus on your needs here. I'm looking for something to watch, but I want something I ain't seen yet. Yeah. Ooh, watch yourself there, partner. Why, well, I reckon you've come to the right place. You've come to the place where the East meets the West. The East meets the West? Where is that, and how's that going to help me? Ooh, that was close. You better duck. I don't understand what's going on here. It's like I'm in a place where kung fu and cowboys have combined somehow. Well, that's right, partner. You'll go and find some offbeat films here, no doubt about that. Host Rigor is going to take you on a journey to discover not only the hundreds of amazing martial arts films of Hong Kong's Shaw Brothers, but also it is spaghetti westerns. Spaghetti westerns? Is that some kind of joke? No, sir. Western movies made in Italy from the 60s to the 80s are called spaghetti westerns, and that's a fact. You can find The East Meets the West on all the major podcasting apps, as well as havenpodcast.com. Well, thank you kindly, sir. You done settled my entertainment needs, even though it's a tad dangerous in your store. Like I said, go to your podcasting apps or go to havenpodcast.com. The East meets the West. Your new favorite ranch to hang out at. Black Belt against Black Magic in the greatest battle of all time. Seven brothers and their one sister meet Dracula. While vampires drink the blood of the virgins and turn them into zombies. Until you've seen the seven brothers and their one sister in action against Dracula. Backed by the song Surf and Sasquatch from the band Captain Kevin and the Wolf Eels. It's from their self-titled album that came out earlier this year. You can find them on Amazon, Spotify, Daddy Cool Records, and a number of other places. It's now time to talk about this month's executive producer patrons of Monster Kid Radio. Everybody that participates in the Monster Kid Radio Patreon at the Toho level or higher, we call an executive producer here on the show. And I'd like to give all of them a special thanks right now. Alistair Hughes, Andrew Campbell, Charles Babbage, Curtis, Dennis Brian Prather, Don Evans, Dwayne and Jen Watson, Professor Frenzy, Jerry Green, Jim Moore, Jeffrey Allen Arnett, Jeff Owens, Jonathan Angarola, Justin Jallo, 
Karen Joan Kahotik, Kenny from down in old Mexico, Lagosi Fan 25, Mabuse Cast, Mitch Gonzalez, Paul Curtis, Stephen D. Sullivan, Steve Turek from the Diecast Movie Review Podcast, T. McKay, Kemi Anschutz, Ted Roddy, Terry Mount, Bayou Hunter, Tom Garganis, and Tracy and Scott Morris. Thank you for all of your support, and thank you to all of the patrons of Monster Kid Radio. You can learn more about what we have on offer to our patrons over at patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. I can go ahead and tell you now that some patrons this month will be receiving a YouTube video. Check out all of the reward tiers that we have available. And even if you're not able to become a patron this month, please consider sharing the link with anybody that you think might be interested in what we talk about here on Monster Kid Radio. Thanks again, everybody. Really appreciate all of your support. Hello, this is Rod Barnett, the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast about eclectic film from across the decade. On The Bloody Pit, we've covered Godzilla movies, Doctor Who movies starring Peter Cushing, The Outer Limits, Fu Manchu, Doc Savage, old radio shows, my favorite movies of all time, a Lucio Fulci film or two, 1970s science fiction movies, and a long series on the films of Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti. So if you're curious to learn a little bit about some of the stranger areas of cult film and television, join me and my rotating group of co-hosts on The Bloody Pit. You might even learn something about Coffin Joe. And that's scary, people. Very scary. Vampires. Werewolves. Zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry. Mark Temple is discreet. I am the vampire. All living things are my prey. The undead are my allies. The night is my domain. And the dark, dank tomb my dwelling place. I feast on human blood. May be yours. So beware. Brand new, all new, The Return of Dracula. From beyond the grave comes the dreaded Dracula. 
spreading corruption and horror wherever his cursed shadow falls. Innocent beauty becomes the vampire's prey as paralyzing fear turns to hypnotic fascination. Will do as I say. Yes. I bring you death, a living death. One drop of your blood and you're bound to me. Jenny Blake's soul must be freed, Doctor. And all of the souls of her victims, if any. But how? With a pointed stake right through the heart. You've reached the feedback section of the show. This is an email that came from Adrian Smith. Imagine how pleased and embarrassed I was to be name-checked several times on your show. That was completely unexpected. Being British, I blushed and looked at the ground. <laughs> Thanks, though. I'm trying to shine a light on Margariti with my blog, and you and Rod are doing great work, both on Monster Kid Radio and The Bloody Pit, to push people towards these films, too. I have to confess, I've only done one of the Gamma One films on my blog so far, but don't ask me which one because I also get confused. I've also stalled on my Treasure Island in Outer Space entries, but I will get back to it soon. Rod's right, though. It's a great series. Check it out. And just to give you a quick update, I finished my thesis in 2018, which featured two chapters on Eurospy films, including From the Orient with Fury, along with chapters on Peplum and Sexploitation films. Writing that thesis led me to become increasingly obsessed with Italian genre cinema. I'm a doctor of film now, for what it's worth, and I'm glad to be able to find time occasionally to dig into Margariti's vast catalog of movies. Keep up the great work on MKR. Cheers. Adrian, thanks for writing in, man. So this was an email about episode 468 of Monster Kid Radio. This came out last month. It's where I had Rod Barnett on, and we talked about the second of the four Gamma One films. The movie was The War of the Planets, and yeah, Adrian's right. If you look at all four titles here of the Gamma One series, Wild Wild Planet, I can tell you that's the first one. I can sometimes remember what the fourth one is, but then there's War of the Planets and War Between the Planets or Battle Beyond the Planets or Planets at War or Star Wars or something. I, I always get them mixed up. War of the Planets is the second one. Adrian, I've been checking out your blog and going back and looking at the old Margariti posts, and they're awesome. And congratulations on becoming a doctor of film. I think I might have known that already, but I don't know if I've ever given you a shout out here on the show. I know you and I have spoken online in the past about Eurospy films, and I know that you know that I know, that you know that I know, that you know that I really like Ken Clark in the Euro Spy films. Ken Clark is the lead, the 
spy, the, the hero of from the Orient Fury, as well as a few of the other films like Mission Bloody Mary or Special Mission Lady Chaplin. Uh, from the Orient with Fury is the middle film of that loosely connected trilogy. Those are the only three films that he played the same character in, although he did appear in another movie called The Tiffany Memorandum as well, where he also did kind of the spy thing, but he started as a journalist. And I'm way off topic, but yeah. Ken Clark. Really like him, and uh, the reason I like to talk about him here on the show isn't just because of those films, but he also appeared in a handful of movies that are definitely related to all things Monster Kid Radio, like Attack of the Giant Leeches and 12 to the Moon. I've never talked about 12 to the Moon. I really like that movie. Maybe someday we'll talk about it here on the show. Now that I've sidetracked, let me get back on track and again just say congrats to Adrian for becoming a doctor of film. That sounds Super impressive, and I wish I had a business card I could put that on. That would be really cool. I bet your business card looks awesome, man. Thanks for writing in, and stay tuned, because Rod and I will be talking about the other two Gamma 1 films at some point in the future on Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for writing in. If you want to be cool like Adrian, you can also write us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Or if you want to call and leave us a voicemail, you can do that too by calling us at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Thanks again, Adrian. a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman. She drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky a titanic monster whose fearsome touch became a frightful curse. You think I'm drunk, don't you? All of you! I'm not drunk! I'm not! You've got to believe me! It was right in the middle of the highway, 30 feet tall! Once she's in the booby hatch, Throw the key away. That'll put you in the driver's seat. You'd make a wild driver, Harry. With 50 million bucks. What she saw was beyond belief until others, too, faced its hideous, uncontrollable menace. Attack of the 50-foot woman, incredibly huge, with incredible desires for love and vengeance. Preacher with the Atom Ray. A motion picture shot full of thrills based on scientific facts described in leading national magazines. You'll be hypnotized. You'll be terrorized. You'll be paralyzed. See a dead man come from beyond the grave. See Columbia Pictures startling... Preacher with the Atom Ray. 
On stage, in person. That crazy mixed up Dr. Evil and his terrors of the unknown. Monsters grab girls right out of the audience. They from the theater. Anything can happen and it usually does. If you're a sissy, stay at home. We can't advertise what happens when the lights go out, but wow. You'll have nightmares for a week. A real dead body is given away to some lucky person. Also in person, the mummy and King Kong, famous Hollywood gorilla, real and alive. Plus on the screen, two horrific motion pictures. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week, we are going to continue our issue-by-issue examination of films covered with article-length features in Famous Monsters. We are up to issue 23 from June of 1963. This issue includes two previews, a continuation of the Dracula article from issue 22, and a look at a silent classic. The first previewed film was The Black Zoo. It merited a three-page article with five photos. And it's a spoiler-filled synopsis of the film with no production notes or reviews. Here's a sample scene from the film. Carl uncages a tiger, a lion, a lioness, a black panther, and a cougar, and leads them into the room. The beasts settle themselves gravely on couches and listen while their master plays the organ. The last chord dies. He turns. Children, I have brought you here because evil men want to steal our land, our home. In their greed, they might even want to kill us. The jungle cats hang on his word as though they understand everything he is saying, as though there is some psychic bond between them. But don't fear. We will take care of our enemies together. Accompanied by the lion, he goes to Stingles. He enters the house alone as the man mixes a cocktail. Conrad opens the door, calls, Come in, King, and the lion enters. On command, the animal springs at the shrieking spectator, whose glass shatters on the floor. Yet another one for Derek's list of films to cover. After an article by famed writer Robert Locke, the story of Dracula on stage and screen continues. It covers 16 pages and includes looks at the Spanish version of Dracula, Dracula's Daughter, Son of Dracula, and numerous other sequels, remakes, and takeoffs made up until 1963. This is followed with a look at Thomas Edison's Frankenstein. A cover from the Edison Kinetograph from May of 1910 is included, which gave the readers a first look at the monster from that once lost film. A brief article includes bits from the article found in Edison's magazine, as well as a discovery of an even earlier version of the Frankenstein legend on film which will be discussed in the next issue of FM. At the end of this issue is a preview of the Day of the Triffids. It is a four-page article of six photos. Here is what was said about the film. When leading London sci-fi author John Wyndham wrote his sensational bestseller, The Day of the Triffids, little did he dream what problems he would present technicians in transferring the creepy concept to the screen. Day of the Triffids is now in its second year of shooting and the end is not yet in sight. They've tried every kind of triffid, reports Mike Connolly of The Hollywood Reporter. Rubberized trees with humans inside, animated trees, electrically operated trees, but nothing seems to work, concludes Connolly. Sole solution now, it appears, is to use real triffids. Judging from the stills on this forthcoming Allied Artist released, we're all going to be in for a heck of a horror film when the Trippets invade our neighborhood theaters. The book was great. If the movie adaption does justice to it, it should be first rate. 
Philip Yorton, an Academy Award winner who scripted the screenplay of The Time Machine, is the producer. So we're hoping the Triffids will be terrific. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters. We will have more next time. Till then, this is Kenny for MKR saying adios. I'm pretty sure I've admitted this on the show before, but I'm going to go ahead and and admit it again. I've never seen the Day of the Triffids. I really need to. And now hearing about what they went through to make that film, you said two years, Kenny? Wow, that's a lot. And I, man, I need to see that movie. You know, in addition to the hundreds of other films that I have on my two-watch list. But this segment just made me bump Day of the Triffids further up on the list. So I'll get to it sooner rather than later. Kenny, thank you so much for doing this segment. I know I can speak for the rest of the Monster Kid Radio audience when I say thank you. It was awesome. the Triffids, when terror reigned from the sky. The day of the Triffids, when the Earth orbits into a nightmare. When the solid world of everyday reality disintegrates. The whole population is driven by fear towards insanity. The day of the Triffids, when destruction closes in from every side. Pilot, is he blind too? It's going to be starvation, fire, pestilence. Anyone caught in the middle of it doesn't stand a chance. I think we ought to get out of here and go on to Spain. How can you know it's any better there? I don't. Doesn't seem to have any central nervous system. Then how does it move? All plants move. They don't usually pull themselves out of the ground and chase you. And now you are saddled with a family. It might have its points. The day of the Triffids, when law and order are overwhelmed in an avalanche of terror. In a whirlpool of shrieking fear. From the most fiendish idea ever conceived by the human brain. The brainiac. And it has a friend. She was beautiful, desirable, and not altogether human. The curse of the crying women. Together they will trap you in a world of horror. 
but if you live through it, you will never forget. The Brainiac and the Curse of the Crying Women. All right. I have no idea what just happened. I'm shuffling my cards. Oh, okay. Your cards. We're doing it the other way now. Oh, we are, huh? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm on Jared. board. I'm on board. I'm joking. Hey, no, I'll do it. I'll I'm do joking. it. <laughs> sure. Do it? Well, see, the only thing is, the all I have is the basic deck. I don't have any of the, the others. Hey, guess what card I just Uh-oh. pulled up? What's your favorite mummy movie? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> How weird is that? Oh, wow. Yeah. God, you know, that's, that's a tough one, too. I have a hard time. I mean, I like the one that we are talking about this week, but. I wouldn't oh, say. Yeah. And, and you know I'm recording this, right? Of course. Yeah, we're going to use this. <laughs> of course. Uh, listeners, we are talking with Mark Peterson. You might know him as Dr. Tongue. And uh, he is flipping the script. He's got his deck of classic five cards. And yeah, my favorite mummy movie right now. I'll go with the Karloff one for now. But I'm sure I'll change my mind in a few months. Mo- no, not the Karloff one. What's the What's the immediate sequel after that one? What's the next one after that? Do you remember? Tom Tyler. Tom Tyler. Uh, was it Curse of the Mummy? Well, there's Ghost, Tomb, Hand, and Curse. And I always mix them up because they were really so close to each other. I love all of them, so I don't really keep them straight. So it's I know it's the one where Tom Tyler plays the mummy. I think it's the mummy's tomb is the one I'm referring to. No. Oh, shoot. It's Yeah, it's the fir- immediate sequel because they meet up with the magician and they go on the the little dig and all that. That's the one that I like. Wind up poopsie. There we go. Yeah. There we go. That's the one. That's the one. All right. All right. All right. You're going to, is that your final answer? That's my final answer. What about you, man? Excellent. Oh man. I think you asked me this last year. Oh, did I really? Yeah. And I think I said the hammer one. Okay. Just because it's like, um, Lee is so imposing as, as the mummy. My God, man. Yeah. That's a good one too. That's a good one. The mummy's hand is the one I was thinking of. That's the first. Ah, There you go. Yeah. There you go. I mean, there's so many, I just love the mummy. It's, you know, it's there, there is honestly, in my opinion, no bad mummy movies. Hey, you know, my thing about mummies, man, I love me a mummy movie. I love them. I mean, I'll take Dawn of the mummy over any, you know, I mean, I love those films so much. <laughs> anyway. Oh yeah. There's something about ancient Egypt that just gets you, gets you going. God, Egyptology um, is fascinating. Are we, are we going to stop, start this thing proper? Hey man, I say, let's keep going with the five. I mean, that's card one, right? All right. All right. Let's do card number two. Again. <laughs> Card number two. What one black and white monster movie would you like to see colorized? And. Wow. Uh, this came up in conversation online. Yeah. So this came up in conversation online uh, earlier, either last night or this morning uh, in the Monster Kid radio group where Dominique Lanzis was asking about the movie. It conquered the world and what color the monster oh, yeah. was. The, so the, that's the one I'm going to go with. Beulah. I want to see Beulah in color. I, I bet. Uh, all of his monsters looked awesome. Well, you know, and the funny thing is my response to the whole conversation was, I guess it's a, it's an, a question for Bob Burns. Yeah, that's right. You did say that, huh? That is Bob Burns in the photograph with uh, Mr. Blaisdell. That's right. For me, yeah. you know, I despise the whole colorization thing. Yeah, me too. Period. I mean, because it's like, you know, as you know, as a filmmaker, the palette that you use for black and white shooting is completely different than for a color film. Sure. Um, to actually just, you know, get in there and computer color it just it does it such a disservice. And honestly, I, I'm going to pass. I can't think of anything. 
have I told you, and I may have shared this on the show, but have I told you about my experience with Night of the Living Dead in color? Oh, no, you haven't. Years ago, this was back when I was living in Cheyenne, Wyoming. So this is pre-Montana. This is pre-film school. This was me just as a film geek, you know, graduating high school and getting a video rental card at every video store in town. And uh, there was a store that had a very cheap bargain basement rental of Night of the Living Dead. I, I can't remember the name of the label that put it out, but it was some small fly-by-night group that had colorized it on VHS. And I took it home and I watched it just because I was morbidly curious. This <laughs> this company, whatever it is they did, they must have just set it to go, walked away for 90 minutes and came back and said, okay, here's our new master. Because they didn't adjust or account for the fact that the blood in that movie was chocolate sauce. Right. So all the blood is this delicious looking color of, oh, decadent brown. And... <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure it was delicious. I'm, I wish I knew the name of the label that had that or I could find that. I've never found it since. It's this one-time experience. I would love to find it on YouTube. But. Well, now, here's the here's the funny thing. I had multiples of these movie promo buttons for that movie. Okay. It's the graveyard ghoul coming up over the tombstone, and it, like, basically, f- you flick it. It goes from black and white to color. Oh. You know, it was for Night of the Living Dead colorized version. So it was like a lenticular button. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what company it was either. It was one I, you know, like a low, low level fly by night company that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Colorization. Mm. I'm not, I'm not a fan, man. Mm. Just not a fan. All right. Question. Is this number three? This is number three, sir. This is number three. Amazing Colossal Man or Attack of the 50 Foot Woman? My thoughts have changed. Uh, I've recently swapped over to Attack of the 50-Foot Woman on that one. Uh, I, I used to be Colossal Man, but 50-Foot Woman for me right now. And I think it's because I'm on, on a uh, Yvette Vickers kick. Yeah, yeah. You know, Attack of the Giant Leeches, she was so, can I say the word bitchy in that movie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I just, and then I have a hard time with her in 50 foot woman because obviously, you know, she knows that, that she's carrying on with a married man. Right. All right. All right. Question number, what is this? Four? This is four. Yeah. Short attention span theater, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what, oh, yeah. What is your favorite Ed Wood movie? Oh boy. Um, I've spent a lot of time with plan nine from outer space lately. Obviously. Yeah, and I think I think that's going to be it for me. I, sometimes it's Bride of the Monster, but right now it's Plan Nine from Outer Space. What about you? Uh, actually, I'm going to go with a a non directorial Edward movie. I believe he wrote it, and I'm sure he was around. But I want to go with Orgy of the Dead. I was thinking to myself, please say Orgy of the Dead. Please say Orgy of the I Dead. I love yeah. that movie. <laughs> Honestly, it's just a basically a parade uh, of strippers. You mean there's not this deep story about this writer and his girlfriend or wife or whatever, and the, the werewolf and the mummy having a little conversation? Shit. Yeah. And chained up in a in a graveyard at midnight with Chriswell? And come on, I want to be invited <laughs> to that party. That sounds like a party. Yeah. Oh, it does. I used to. I used to. Yeah. So I used to do an impression of one of the the strippers. You know. Well, um, I don't know if I want to know anymore. I'm um, not going to say anything. <laughs> right? I've, I've incriminated myself way too much on tape already. <laughs> uh, but no, you're right. Uh, Edward did not direct that. He wrote it. Uh, the director was Stephen Apostoloff, which who's somebody I don't know much about, but there is a documentary out there called Dad Made Dirty Movies about him <laughs> uh, that I, I have. I just need to sit down to watch it. So. Oh, man. Now I could you get hold on. I got to write that down. <laughs> 
And I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm writing it down. All right. Honestly, it's got Ed's signature all over it. Oh, yeah. So, you know, obviously with the dialogue, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Question number five. Who is your favorite horror host? Oh, that's not fair because I'm friends with a handful of them. I know, and you're gonna <laughs> oh. have to, you're gonna have to pick one. It could be your favorite this week. Look, if you got a, in a fight with a monkey, you can cast him out for the week and pick another <laughs> another one. You know, I mean, everybody likes Fenguli. I like Fenguli. You know, Elvira was great. What I've seen of Zachary is great. Gang Green's one of my best friends. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. You know, I know, I know. Oh my god. Um... God, Marlena, Midnight's hella cool. Uh, There's so many. I mean, honest to God, there are so many good ones presently. Well, and, and so many of them have supported Monster Kid Radio so much over the years. You know, Lord Blood Raw, Mr. Lobo. You, you, you mentioned the monkey, so the mummy and the monkey. Yeah. Um, you know, Drac is back and he's awesome. Right. Oh, boy. You know, you um, got... ooh. Come on, just pick one. <sighs> Is this how it feels? Ladies and gentlemen, I have stumped Derek. You've broken me is what you've done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is what it feels like, young man. Wow. You have done this for 400 plus episodes to a lot of people. (laughs) Um, I'm actually going to go close to home from when I was growing up. Sinister Cinema here in Portland, Oregon. Victor Ives. I've had people ask me about that and I, I don't know anything about it. K-A-T-U, Saturday night, they had a double feature, and he was our horror host in the early 70s. Huh. Well, yeah. see, I knew we had Tarantula Ghoul back in the day, and there's right. nothing of her left. You know, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing. Is there anything with Sinister Cinema out there? Um, There is some stuff up on YouTube. Okay. And it's, you know, it's goofy stuff, but it's like, you know, when you're a 10-year-old kid and you're watching this in a dark basement on a Saturday night, it leaves an impression. Right on. Yeah. There's the classic five, ladies and gentlemen. How do you feel, Derek? Wow. Oh, I feel broken and like I probably upset. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to reevaluate some of my friendships now. Thanks. Uh, um, okay. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, no, that was fun, man. And uh, once again, listeners, that is Mark Peterson. Dr. Tongue's Toys. Man, how are things going for you these days, my friend? I know we talked a little off mic, but wow. Um, I'm trying to live a dream and a nightmare right now. That's that's the best way I can describe what we're going through right now, because, you know, it's like I told Derek, it's like this is nothing I've ever seen in my 55 years and hopefully never see it again. Yeah, it's it's pretty scary. And for those of you like you, Mark, who have a retail business in kind of a niche market. It's got to be brutal. So I'm so glad you've got the Etsy shop. I don't know how it's doing for you, but we'll make sure there's links in the show notes, of course. Make sure people, if you are looking for a toy that your mom threw away or maybe one she didn't, head over to Dr. Tongue's Etsy shop or buy a gift certificate for Dr. Tongue as well and then come on and spend it once the store reopens. Right. Yeah, we don't. Unfortunately, the, the they're electronic gift cards, but they're not usable online, which is Oh, okay. Yeah, it's kind of it kind of stinks, but uh, they're only usable in the store. And then I'm, I'm sure we could figure out something mail order wise. And, you know, somebody wants something, and I've you know they've bought a gift card. I'm sure I can honor it. I just got to figure out how. I'm uh, okay. I'm kind of a luddite when it comes to technology. 
Well, if you're going to do that, listeners, and you're not in the local area, uh, get a hold of me and I'll pass the message on to Mark and we'll figure something out. Uh, I'll help coordinate that if possible. We'll figure it out, bottom line is. But yeah, head over to his Etsy store. I've been drooling all over it. Man, if I was more flush right now, you've been listing so many Ultraman monsters. (laughs) Oh, yeah. God, I want those. That's that's kind of a a new little model that I've been working with prior to all of this. It was basically importing large lots of Japanese vinyl from uh, Japan. I've got a connection over there and they've been plying me with nice little lots of vinyl. So that that will hopefully will continue once we get back to some semblance of order. Right on. Like I said, I'm looking at it right now. There's over a hundred different items listed for sale here. And if there's something specific, get a hold of Dr. Tongue. He's your guy. There should be there should actually be over four hundred, my friend. Oh, great. I've, okay. I've, I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> I, math isn't my thing. I just saw all these numbers and I just assumed, okay, that's a hundred or so. Nope. Okay. Nope. Yeah. So there you yeah. Go. No. And there you go. and thank you for thank you for the plug. Of course, man. Uh, yeah. You know, we want to support people. I've been trying to do it through this whole thing. I don't know if it's helped anybody, but, you know, you guys, uh, what Jeff is doing at the Joy Cinema, Terry Mount's fabric masks that she makes now over at That's Terry. I think, I mean, anybody that I can promote and give a shout out to, especially oh, these days, especially and, these days. And really and is very much appreciated. Any any type of help like that is is a very appreciated. Well, we got to protect our own, man. Take care of our own. Uh, that is true, and it's and it's unfortunate that you know the restaurant industry has taken such a big hit. Oh boy, because uh, yeah. a lot of my customers are service industry people. Oh man, so well, we'll get through it all with the help of a monster movie or two, right? Yes, yes, we will. And you know, I mentioned masks earlier. I really need to get my hands on some of those luchador masks that that luchador down in Mexico is making right now. I, oh uh, yeah, no, that, that's awesome. I've, I've reached was, out to him on Facebook, but he's never returned my messages. Probably because I didn't reach out to him in Spanish, and I, dude, I'm not even going to try. Uh, <laughs> but Yeah, uh, that probably is not the best idea. But I would love to get my hands on a handful of those. Just, you know, to support him and then to have some really cool masks. Oh, good Lord, yes. Uh, a thousand times, yes. <laughs> uh, I would love to have a Dr. Wagner mask. That'd be awesome. Oh, it'd be great. Oh, so, yeah, listeners, what we're talking about is there's a luchador down in Mexico who, uh, in addition to performing in the ring, he also designs masks and produces masks for the wrestlers, full-blown you know, luchador masks. But because all the promotions have shut down all right now, nobody's wrestling, nobody's making any money, he has taken the luchador mask material and is now making masks that you can wear out in public. No, they're not N95 or FDA certified or whatever, but it's better than nothing. And and uh, they're cool. Definitely. Somebody did send me the guy's WhatsApp number, so I might try to reach out to him that way. And see oh, what happens. cool. And let me know what ha- let me know if you hear anything. So I will. I, I got I got a friend of mine who um, makes masks. Actually, Rachel over at uh, Kaiju Cast. Oh, okay. Yeah, Rachel. Uh, she makes masks. We're friends on Facebook, and I saw that she had made something, and she had some luchador fabric. And I'm like, oh, 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 oh. Could you oh. Make me a, could you make me a mask of that? She's like, sure. So I give her some trade credit at the store, and I've got a luchador mask coming soon. Oh, well, you know who I'm going to be emailing when we get done with this here. I'm uh, <laughs> sure you will. Well, Rachel's a fellow creature from the Black Lagoon fanatic. So, oh, yeah. yeah. No, she's, 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 hook a brother up, Rachel. Yeah, that's yeah, she's a diehard. What are we talking about here? Um, <laughs> is it, uh, it's Lucha de Mayo, right? That's right. It is Lucha de Mayo, and I've been saying it right all month. Yay! And I almost said it wrong just a second ago. I had to think about it. So I shouldn't be too proud of myself for recording this on May 6th, so I have plenty of more opportunities to screw it up. That is so true. far, I've been good. <laughs> you know, 
So yeah, it's Lucha de Mayo. We're yes. talking about monster movies with luchadors and luchador movies with monsters. And, you know, I love this subgenre. You've been hearing me talk about it on the show over the years and even just this month so far. I've been talking about how much I love these movies. And Mark, you're an aficionado as well. Oh, yeah. Got to have you back on to talk about these amazing films. And last year, I made it a point to say we have to talk about some luchadora movies. There aren't nearly as many, but we got to give the ladies their due. So when you came up with these particular titles, we ended up settling on the wrestling women versus the Aztec mummy. I was excited and stoked to talk about it. Oh, well, one of my favorites, you know, that whole series of wrestling women movies that they made. This is the best titled one. Let's just put it that way. It does have an amazing title. Uh, unfortunately, it's probably not the best of the series. No, uh, definitely not. But it is what it is. <laughs> I still had fun watching it. I watched it this morning, in fact, to get ready for it. I'd seen it before, but I watched it this morning and... Uh, you know, I can't get enough of that luchador action, man. And mummies. We were talking about mummies earlier. There's a little bit of mummy in this. I got it. I love it. Yep. That is true. And, and and the Aztec mummy, actually. So it's like not the bandage wrapped one. It's the poncho wearing type. But it still is cool. And sometimes even cooler, depending on what the movie is. Oh, yeah. The mummy in this movie is not the Aztec mummy that was in the original mummy, quote unquote, trilogy back in 57. Right. Although so. some of the stock footage is from that film. Oh, oh yeah. No, they they were, you know, Alfredo Salazar and uh, Guillermo Caldera were not going to uh, waste good money by shooting stuff again. They just rehashed that. Hey. And it worked. If it worked for Universal, if it worked for, I think, Hammer did it. Hammer did it. Why not? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Corman, hey, why not, man? Troma. You know, they all do it. So why not? Flashback movie. That's right. That's right. Uh, the director, <laughs> Rene Cardona, who has done so many of these movies, he's probably been represented more than any other Mexican genre director here on Monster Kid Radio. But he's still somebody I know very little about. I, I need to learn more. And I think part of the problem is that we just don't have a lot of uh, material that's made it from that era of Mexican cinema, that type of Mexican cinema that's made it all the way up here to the U.S. in a language that I can understand, not as sort of responsibility to speak English, but, you know, I just I don't understand Spanish, so I don't know what I'm looking at if I stumble across anything. Uh, do you know much about the director at all? Yeah, I really don't. He's, his name is just bandied about, you know, he was the director for yeah. A lot of the genre films in the in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. He directed the Mexican version of Santa Claus. He directed a ton of these luchador movies. And apparently in 1979, he directed a movie called War of the Pastries. I don't know what it's about, but the title sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first I've heard of that one, but I got I to gotta look that one up too. Oh, me too. Oh, yeah. War oh, yeah. of the Pastries. I can only That's imagine. Right. <laughs> so... But then you yeah, all, he did a lot of the stuff. Then yeah. you also got, you know, you got the writer in charge, Alfredo Salazar, um, yeah. you know, who's penned a lot of the films you've talked about during Lucha de Mayo. And, you know, he would take um, a certain style and storyline and filter it through so many different movies and just change the characters. This is kind of one of them. It worked for him. Oh, yeah, it definitely worked. And uh, he was involved in not just the mummy stuff, but like, well, I guess Face of the Screaming Werewolf does have a mummy in it, doesn't it? Mm, so, yeah. yeah, he did that, too. He worked but on he is, that, too. You know, he did, you know, I mean, he worked with Santo. He mm -hmm. worked with he worked with all the wrestlers. I mean, you oh, know. Yeah. And then you had the producer, Guillermo Caldera. Uh, 
Calderon, I'm sorry, stumbling on his name. He was the money behind all of this. It was his babies. And, you know, Salazar and uh, Cardona were his guys. So I mentioned earlier that uh, the director also did the Santa Claus uh, version of, of the Santa Claus movie that came out in Mexico that K. Gordon Murray brought up to the States. And K. Gordon Murray also brought this movie up to the States. And that's actually the version we ended up watching uh, it's a dubbed version, and you were telling me earlier that based on your limited research, well, that sounded judgmental as hell. This wasn't no, no, <laughs> based no. on the little research I, no, you hey, did. No, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> it's you know, it's not like I'm I'm a scholar in this stuff. You were telling me though that you had read uh, in Cotter's amazing book that there were very little changes. Typically, it's just redubbed and sent out, right? Pretty much. Cave Gordon Murray, when he dubbed the films, he didn't make a lot of cuts to the film. That would cost money. And, you know, the idea was to bring these films up, dub them, get them out on the market and make some cash. And so the, the films that you see in any of the that are, you know, dubbed by, quote unquote, K. Gordon Murray are as close to uncut from what was seen down in, in Mexico and in the Latin American countries back in the day as you could get. So, I mean, we were we were as kids watching this on TV. We were lucky. Um, to see these things, you know, it's, you know, of course, like it's not saying that the TV stations didn't cut for time, but with the DVD releases that came out a few years ago that were, you know, promptly snubbed, um, from something weird video, it's, it's nice to see these films in uncut versions. Did you first see this on TV or was it through the something weird release that you saw it? When I was a kid, I remember seeing it on TV. It was like, you know, it was okay. like Saturday afternoon, you know, I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. You know, I used to watch a lot of film when I was a kid. Just watch monster movies like kind of nonstop. My brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my parents thought I was weird and teachers didn't like me. You know how that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm sure, uh, yeah. you know, I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of misfits out there that can just yeah. kind of. Sympathize. We can identify. Sympathize. The Something Weird release, I believe, is going out of print. There are copies available of it on uh, Amazon, but they're going for over $60, which typically indicates that they're about to run out of stock. And for whatever reason, they jack the prices up when that happens. You know the story on those, right? No, I don't. You said something earlier about it being snubbed. Yeah. I talked to Lisa several years ago when these were Lisa Petrucci, who's the owner of right. Something Weird Video. I believe Mike was still alive then also. They're image titles, right? Image was going to... Okay. And I think something weird... I'm, I'm trying to keep this straight. Image was going to put out what was called the K. Gordon Murray series. Okay. And they had planned to put out a series of DVDs. And my understanding was is they thought they had the licensing secured through K. Gordon Murray because it was dubbed and stuff. And I want to say that I don't know what entity in Mexico basically stepped in and say, you don't have the right to do that. And they put an injunction on them. Okay. So for a while they were held up, um, whether there was any type of agreement reached later, like, you know, you can sell them until you sell out of stock or whatever. But, you know, I think we're way past that now. You know, when I look at the listing for it on Amazon, it's listed as the something weird release. But if you dig into the product details, it says the studio is Image Entertainment. So I wonder if they had to turn over their stock to Image. You know, Image is just trying to dump it and get rid of it. I know that the world of rights, especially when it comes to these obscure films or international films, gets really weird. <laughs> no pun intended. It's really weird, really murky. Uh, I know something weird. Uh, 
I mean, not to talk out of school or whatever, but I used to do some work with a studio up here in Portland, in Oregon, that had the right to some films that something weird wanted to put out. And yeah, it was just kind of a mess. So I totally understand the rights thing. So if you get your hands on a copy of this DVD, you're lucky, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to write um, video reviews for a magazine called Too Much Coffee Man. Really? You used to work for that, huh? That's awesome. Uh, work is a... Uh a relative term. Let's put it this way. I wrote reviews for free DVDs. Hey. Let's, let's say that. That's exactly what it was. I wrote reviews for free DVDs and I got a lot, but I got screener copies from Image and uh, I was on their list. Oh, okay. I got the two that were released. I believe it was this disc, which is Dr. Doom and Wrestling Women versus the Aztec Mummy. And then the other one is Night of the Bloody Apes. And I can't remember the back with on that one mm, off the top of my head i don't remember either but i i know i've got that one i got those two and i there was a third one that is a little harder to find in the series and i never got a copy of that and i honestly the title is escaping me right now but there you go okay there's the story and i'm sticking to it so if you can get your hands on the dvd awesome uh, but yeah it's the k gordon murray cut or dub is what we ended up watching and you said you saw this originally on TVC. I didn't see it until I got my hands on the DVD. And I think it was something that I had rented through Netflix back when I had a DVD rental option with them. Uh, Might have even been before they even did streaming or made streaming easier to do. So I, I had it yeah. on DVD here for a little while and watched it that way. Now, over the years, I've later acquired a copy of it on DVD for my permanent collection because I loved it so much. But that's how I first saw it. It was years ago on DVD. And it's really kind of stuck with me. I'm surprised it's taken us this long doing Lucha de Mayo to actually get to these movies. And I know that women involved in the luchador wrestling business, it's still a men-dominated thing. And, I mean, even more so back then. So to find luchadoras at all to build stories around had to have been difficult. They weren't taken seriously. They were seen as like the uh, – this is not the proper terminology, but the midget wrestlers. The yeah. little – they were seen as um, uh, a curiosity. Yeah. Back back then, it was you know, oh, it's like you know, let's watch the women wrestle now. Okay, now we're gonna bring out Santo and here's the main match of the day. They were used as lower card fodder, mm -hmm. and basically, the wrestling women started out with one movie and it actually did really well, and that was Wrestling Women versus the Killer Doctor, and it's also known as Doctor Doom. And that's the first one in the series, and that came yeah. out in '63. And that actually did so well that they immediately went back into production with another wrestling woman movie. And that's the one we're talking about today, which is wrestling women versus the Aztec mummy. And it's kind of sort of a sequel, but you don't have to watch doctor of doom to know what's happening in this film. Uh, you do see more relationship stuff happening, like coming together in doctor of doom, but really you don't need all that for this film. Oh, no, they're definitely standalones, but they're, oh, yeah. you know, they are the same actresses that played the wrestling women themselves, which, by the way, were not wrestlers. Exactly. They were actresses. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is like, then I was kind of getting at that point as well with the luchadors. They couldn't even find women to, to do it. They had to cast actresses to play the roles and then bring in stunt people for some of the more physical stuff. And to be honest with you, some of the women that wrestled back then were... Um, on the heavier side. 
Yeah. The women that were that were actually wrestling were big, muscular women. They weren't the hot actresses that they wanted to put in front of the camera. So they got they did. They got a couple of actresses and put them in front of the camera. And honestly, when you're watching the film, it is so obvious that there are um, duplicates in the ring. Like for the close-ups, of course, you know, you're seeing Lorena Velasquez and Elizabeth Campbell. The close-ups, that was them, obviously, but like the long shots, the wigs are so bad. Oh, it's it's awful. <laughs> it's it so, is so bad. It's so bad. It's like, oh, that's good enough. Let's just roll with it. But Lorena Velasquez is awesome. At the beginning of the month, when Frank Schildner was on for the first week of Lucha de Mayo, and yeah, she's gorgeous. And oh, yeah. she's charismatic and captivating. Oh, uh, yes. She's playing a hero here, whereas she's typically plays a villain, I feel like. But here she's the hero, uh, along with her partner, Elizabeth Campbell. And in this film, the what's her name? Loretta? Is that right? Loretta, Loretta Venus. Okay. And then Elizabeth Campbell was Golden Ruby. And they're a tag team, and they've got some romantic interests uh, who are also from the previous film. Right. Uh, and you you meet them. They're same performers as well, same actors, but they have very little to do in this movie as opposed to the last one. <laughs> Pretty much. For the most part, too, the wrestling women don't have a lot to do either. It's it's kind of like they're all standing around waiting for the archaeologist to make his discovery, and then they can all go look for the mummy. So, yeah, but the, the weird thing that I found about the, the film itself is it, it's essentially it's a dusk to dawn analogy. There's two films. There's the crime drama in the first part. Mm -hmm. And then there's the mummy film in the last part. Yeah, pretty much. The film starts out showing the deaths of a couple archaeologists that wouldn't talk. The whole premise of the film is. There's a codex, which is instructions on how to find the mummy's Aztec treasure. And the evil prince uh, Fujiyata, also known as the Black Dragon, which is, once again, it's like, you know, like another left turn. It's a Hispanic man playing an Asian Japanese person. It, uh, <laughs> it's, it, this movie is just, it's like a giant tossed salad of weirdness it really is but so you have to kind of get past you know the suspension of disbelief where we're want you know you're watching a hispanic man dressed up in japanese robes and he's got two you know the karate sisters his sisters which are essentially hispanic women dressed up with asian style wigs and wearing uh white karate geese why not uh, it worked yeah. um so, so the whole idea is basically the, the black dragon needs to find where the mummy's treasure is. And so he, he's not necessarily kidnapping these archaeologists and torturing them. He's basically like, oh, you don't know where it is? And he kills them. Yeah. It's not a lot of patience there. So much of the story of this film is told from the perspective of him watching a hidden camera. <laughs> that, yes. I mean, come on. <laughs> Well, it, once again, it's it's you know the, what we talked about a couple of years ago with Santo versus Dracula, the roaming camera that's 
basically. It's like, you know what? (laughs) You know, you got a single camera that's hidden on a shelf and it's like, but, you know, it moves and acts like a movie camera. Yeah, it's this random roving camera that's kind of going all over the place. I I, I don't know. I can't explain it. It's happened before. I'm sure it happens in other movies, too. But yeah, so much of the story is told with the villain sitting in his his office. It's not even like a creepy lair. It feels like it's the office of some store somewhere. And he's just watching this TV, watching this, this hidden camera footage going on. It's unfortunate, but, you know, I guess that's what they had to do to tell the quote-unquote story <laughs> the story of course yeah but it's like and the best part when you finally actually see the entrance to the quote-unquote office it's basically a shelf full of paint yeah in a garage okay well it's secret layer but hey it works yeah <laughs> so, so, so they have the the, the last archaeologist who is a friend of course of the wrestling women mm-hmm. he's in hiding and he's giving clues to where the three codexes are hidden around the city. And that, that I mean, like, there's where your kind of your crime drama kind of comes in. He's sending clues. You got to go to this and go down here and it's there. So the Black Dragon is basically essentially trying to find these and beat the wrestling women and the detective to where the codexes are. And... Apparently, he's pretty good at it because he got two out of the three. Yeah, he makes a little progress. So, yeah. But the best part was that one of the last one that the wrestling women actually find, or actually the detective played by Armando Silvestri and his, his sidekick, Chucho, Chucho Salinas, they actually, it was hidden in a locker at the wrestling ring. <laughs> in, in the locker room. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, no wonder the, you know, the black dragon couldn't find it, you know, get or get there first. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, so the wrestling women, they finally, they finally find the third one and the black dragon shows up and the, the, um, I, I, yeah, it's just, I, I'm just, I'm kind of dumbfounded as to the whole, Oh, okay. So, um, we're going to challenge you to a wrestling match. <laughs> And my karate sisters, the black dragon offers up his, his sisters as fight fodder. Um, apparently they're champion karate fighters in Japan to fight the wrestling women. And then whoever wins the best two out of three falls gets the codexes and we're going to walk away from each other and, uh, scot-free. Let's forget that, you know, the archeologists have been murdered to get this information that leads us to the big wrestling match. Which, man, it is a doozy. So one of the, I guess, tropes or, or standards of these movies is that we always have to have a wrestling match. Sometimes it's pre-taped footage or pre-filmed footage from an actual match. Sometimes it's set up for the film itself. In the case of these movies, because the actresses really aren't ring performers, it's almost always set up for the film itself. And you keep cutting back and forth from this camera shot that's behind the post where the heroes are gathered so you only see the back of their head every once in a while we get a close-up of the women standing ringside or maybe even in the ring itself but for the most part most of the wrestling action takes place from this long shot looking down and behind so you don't see that it's not the right women the same women that that's where the fun let's pick out the duplicates in the ring part comes in the weird wig that they got for the stand-in for lorena was just uh uh, it was horrendous yeah (laughs) just like you know (laughs) Oh, man, it was, uh, yeah. Watching the footage, 
the women that play the karate sisters mm-hmm. to the Black Dragon, I'm pretty sure are the same women that were the actresses because all they did was stand there and stare. They didn't say anything. Right. Like when he, you know, like when they're in the in the Black Dragon's lair, they just kind of stand there, and it's so obvious that it is a Hispanic woman wearing a Japanese style bowl cut wig. And then when they're in the ring, it's just, it's the same women. I'm pretty sure. So, and then, (laughs) you know, then they've got, you know, the stereotypical Japanese style wooden sandals. Yeah. They wear those and then they're running around in them in the hallway. I don't know if you caught that after the match. How are they doing that? (laughs) You know? So, but yeah, it's like the matches is just, it takes up a good center part of the film and it's, it's really entertaining. I found you know, and it's actually cut really well, but it's just the fact that the doubles that they got were just like, they didn't care. Yeah. It, unlike the movies that we see with the men, most of the wrestling action is confined to the ring. And it's almost as if they had a different crew or, or somebody shooting these sequences, because you can tell real clearly that uh, it's not them at all. Yeah. And then, of course, the wrestling women, spoiler alert, they won. So the Black Dragon basically uh, hands over the other two codex that he has. So they have, you know, the archaeologist has all three of them that he had in the first place that he hid all around the city. But he got them all back now. And then the detective, when the Black, this is, I thought this was, I don't know if you caught this or not. The Black Dragon shows up, you know, man of honor. He showed up in, in the locker room. Handed over the two codexes. Okay, well, I guess so that'll be it. And the detective goes, I never said that you were going anywhere and you were going to be absolved of any crimes. And he like hauls them off. And that's the last you see pretty much of the Black Dragon, right? Pretty much. But then as they're walking by the locker room, the as they're going down the hallway and the two detectives have the Black Dragon and his henchmen in front of them with guns and the karate sisters for him come flying out of um, a locker room and just beat the snot out of them, you know, uh, and then they get away. Yep. <laughs> I just thought that that was the way that they just came, you know, flying out. There had to have been a noise. They were only a door away from the other locker room where the wrestling women were. And, you know, they beat the crap out of the two detectives. The black dragon gets away with his two sisters. And then about, Oh, Ten seconds later, the the wrestling women come out. Oh, what happened? <laughs> it's just you know, say you know, another one of those movie uh, lags of time, I guess. Yeah, and we got to shoehorn some mummy action into all of this here at the end. Yeah. So well, yeah, well, essentially at that point, it's that's <laughs> kind of where the crime drama stops, pretty much. And then it turns into a mummy movie. That's not to say. After uh, a grueling 15 minutes of him trying to decipher the codex while everybody sits around and plays gin, chess, and drinks a lot of tea. Well, sure. But he finally figured it out. And apparently it was in uh, an Aztec pyramid that is right down the street from them. Of course. Because it didn't take them very long to get there. Did you notice that one too? (laughs) Oh, that's just, that's just the temple down the street. Yeah, pretty much. You know. Yeah. (laughs) but see this is what i always love about mummy movies in general Mm -hmm. you you have a couple of experts the archaeologists and a bunch of people that don't know what the hell they're doing tagging along they're not exactly the most careful people 
because you know i mean you're well aware i mean you've seen archaeological digs that are truly scientific and they have them mapped out and takes them months to dig out stuff and it's like nope they're just gonna go break in the wall and go find the tomb i don't know if i've actually seen i guess maybe the very beginning of jurassic park when they're at the dig maybe that's the most accurate representation of archaeological uh digs because i mean indiana jones just goes in and wrecks whatever you know and in this film i mean <laughs> they're just bust, busting through walls oh, yeah. yeah yeah it's just that's just you know they got they got the pickaxe and the shovel and they just like oh uh it's here busted in so you know they busted in and they start wandering around this aztec temple yeah uh pyramid they finally come across the remains of the princess uh, and the breastplate is on her. That's the other thing, too, is that it's the same exact story as the Aztec Mummy trilogy. Right. That was filmed previously. But it's a completely different mummy and a completely different princess. But I hasten to guess it's probably the same breastplate from the prop department. More than likely. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I mean, recycle, reuse. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They find the breastplate. And then they take the breastplate. And that's what I kind of confused about because it's like, weren't they supposed to be there to find the rest of the treasure? Sure. So they take the breastplate, <laughs> which, of course, awakens the mummy, Tutomek. Mm -hmm. They take the breastplate, they leave. And, of course, Tutomek comes to life and starts chasing them down and looking to get the breastplate back. And that, that, the the part <laughs> where he, he turns into a bat the size of an eagle. <laughs> and the dialogue is, he's turned into a bat. Or no, do they say he's, he's a vampire? A what, whatever it is. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's weird kind of, oh, look, what he did now. I'm just like, what? <laughs> oh, no, 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 look, he's turned into a bat. And then, then basically, I mean, the, this is this is later in. But, you know, look, he's a mummy again. Yep. That's it. You know, that's, that's the only explanation you get. So, you know, the, the wrestling women, the detective and the archaeologist all head back to, you know, the archaeologist's house to, so he can decipher apparently the, the breastplate, try to figure out where the, tr the rest of the treasure is, which I pretty much would guess would be in the tomb with the rest of the stuff. More but, than likely. Yeah. You think that's kind of how it works, right? But you know, how are you going to pad the movie out? You know, oh, we found it. Yep, yeah, pretty so, much. The, the mummy turns into like this huge, gigantic bat in like the best, you know, B-movie giant bat that you can imagine. And then ends up outside of the archaeologist's house. And the black dragon has his gang. This this was my favorite part of the movie right yeah. here where the black dragons gang was going to break in and steal the breastplate from the archeologist because he's got the camera that showed that they have it. Sure. So they show up and they arrive at the exact same time that the mummy shows up and the mummy decimates <laughs> all of the gangsters. And they try to shoot him. They, uh, well, they do shoot him. Oh, uh, well, they a do lot, shoot him. but does over nothing over, and over again. Yes. Yeah. The mummy is not stopped by bullets. No, <laughs> the mummy then like, takes off he doesn't go in to get the breastplate he turns into a bat and leaves again yeah this was literally my favorite part the headlines in this in the newspapers 
mummy decimates gangsters or something you know along that line oh and there was two there was a couple different headlines too yeah it kind of opens the movie as well at the very yeah. beginning we were talking where we learned that the bad guy's name is the black dragon black dragon gang decimated by mummy or mystical creature or something like that it was pretty funny and of course that is the last pretty much that we kind of see of the black dragons gang pretty much and that's it now it's the archaeologist versus the archaeologist wrestling women detectives versus the aztec mummy <laughs> even though they're not running around in masks or having wrestling matches out in the wild you know away from the ring they still keep that element of the luchador movies where they are superheroes detectives crime scene investigators uh, archaeologists you know they know everything Oh, of course. You know, you know. They, they keep that trope, at least. They're not even wearing masks, but you know they're cut from the same luchador cloth because that's what they do. They know well, all you know, the heroes. That's it. Of course, you know, the, the, the capes that they had on were amazing. Oh, I mean, yeah. Go back to that. The ring attire was, was quite fetching. Sure. Then the non-wrestling woman, Charlotte, tries to talk Chucho Thomas, the detective, into taking the breastplate back to basically – uh, stop all of the killing. So those two idiots <laughs> go back to the temple and attempt to put the breastplate back. And the woman gets lost in the temple. So the detective, I'm like, and I thought about this. I'm like, you're not going to go look for her. You're just going to leave. And that's what he does. He goes back and like tells the, the wrestling women, Charlotte is lost in the temple. So they go back and then it's pretty much the final showdown uh, for the movie right there. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't much of a mummy movie. Let's put it that way. No, I mean it. The it, design of the mummy I thought was great. Oh, he had like that looks, kind of big Popeye. Yeah. You know, and he looked so much better than the one that actually was in the, the Aztec mummy trilogy. You mentioned the from dusk till dawn comparison, which I hadn't considered, but that's exactly the temple that this is uh, cut from, or I guess the other way around since this movie came out first. If you actually watch From Dusk Till Dawn and time it, and I've done this, I can't remember the exact times now, but the vampire portion of From Dusk Till Dawn is very short compared to the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. It's it's not even like a third act. It's it's less than that. I, I had it figured out once because when I was in film school, I worked at the movie theater that we had on campus that would you know used to support various things there. And we had From Dusk Till Dawn, and I timed it so that when it was being shown on a night that I wasn't working, I knew when to come in to catch the vampire action because I was kind of over the Tarantino crime stuff. Right. So, right. <laughs> you know, I wanted to see the vampires get down, you know, so I, I had it timed just right to get in there. And I was sitting in the theater for maybe like 20 minutes and that's about yep. it. I mean, it's yeah. very short. And that's pretty much what happens here. The mummy stuff, the monster stuff, the giant bat, it's not a big part of the movie. It really is kind of a crime drama, thriller, caper the mummy sequences are a third of the film. Yeah. If that, I think that's being generous. Yeah. It moves along pretty quick. Once the mummy is, uh, up and out walking around towards the end, it's like, you know, they head back, they find the woman, they return the breastplate, but the mummy is still kind of really ticked off. So he's, you know, coming after him. He's, Oh, look, he's a bat. That's the scene where he goes, Oh, look, he's a mummy again. <laughs> you know, so and then the wrestling women are, you know, pulling the wrestling moves on him. It's a very tight sequence and, you know, very confined spaces, but it, it's kind of fun. And that's pretty much the film. Like you said, the mummy looks great. 
Yeah. yeah, I would have loved to have seen that mummy in color. So how about this? Let's colorize this movie so I can see what that mummy looked like. Okay, I'll give you that one. In the end, I'm glad we did this one. Doctor of Doom is a little bit more exciting for me, but it's still fun to see a mummy movie. I mean, I, I'm totally about the mummies, whether they're Egyptian, Aztec, or whatever. Uh, I, I just love me a good mummy movie. And this has got a little bit of cool mummy action in it. I mean, oh, yeah. turning into a giant bat, okay. Right. Yeah, so that was kind of yeah. cool. You know, of course, you know, I, you know, he is a mystic being, so he is capable of, yeah. of, you know, transmorphic mortification. So it was pretty cool. I think I used that word correctly. Did I? I, I, I yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I got, I got a word of the day calendar and that was on there a couple of days ago and I was like, <laughs> make sure I'm using it go. correctly. So there you go. yeah, I was, I, I'm always going to go back to, um, my favorite of the Aztec mummies is, uh, the robot versus the Aztec mummy. That is, that oh, is yeah. like my hands down all time favorite. That um, one's great too. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, it's talk about so over the top. It's good stuff, and if you can get your hands on it, I recommend getting your hands on both this one and Doctor of Doom, um, just because you get to see Lorena Vasquez, you know, hanging out in a wrestling outfit, doing her thing. She is a beautiful woman. Yes. She yes. is also very charismatic and talented. I mean, and, she, and she actually, does, she, she yeah. really did love the genre. Yeah, that's the vibe I get, too. Yeah. I mean, she, she made enough of these films, I want to say, like almost half of her catalog is some sort of genre film. Yeah. This is the fourth year I've been on Lucha de Mayo. And I think I've mentioned this every year except for this year. And we're almost done, and I have to make mention of it. Okay. She was beta in Ship of Monsters. <laughs> Ship of Monsters is an amazing movie. Someday we'll cover that proper here on the show. Oh, Lord, I'll, I'll, I will get my popcorn and be happily listening. That movie is a trip. Uh, talk about a mishmash of movies, though. I mean, oh, <laughs> musical, yeah. monster, whatever. It's really fun. Well, uh, I think we broke down the movie pretty much, and we talked about some of the things that we enjoyed and, and probably didn't like. Is there anything else we want to say about the movie before we wrap up, Mark? You know, um, no. <laughs> okay. Honestly, if you like uh, Mexican horror films and and lucha libre films and that ilk, you do yourself a favor and watch this movie. It's just fun. You know, uh, I I will comment. Uh, this is something that I brought up uh, the first week of Lucha de Mayo this year. That sometimes the music in the luchador movies are really kind of it's really kind of wonky, kind of over the top, kind of broken ice cream truck style. Uh, that doesn't happen in this movie. So no, no, it it, it's not, which is fine. I mean, I, I don't mind a good spooky score anyway. And that's kind of what they were going for here. You're, you're right. It's, it's definitely like whatever music they have laying around. Apparently they used in the films, but they did, they did a good job of uh, scoring that they did. All right. Well, I love having you on for Lucha de Mayo and uh, we should probably have you on for some other non Luchador stuff at some point, just so that I can talk to you more than once a year on the show. I know I come by the store every once in a while, but Right now, this is our only way to communicate, man, since the store is closed. So, again, listeners, check out Dr. Tongue's Etsy shop. Make sure there's a link in the show notes for that. Like how I did that? A little segue there, kind of, sort of, maybe? Nice, nice. <laughs> you're, you're a professional. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> a professional what? I don't know. You haven't figured that part out yeah, yet. Yeah, I will. 
Before everything happened with the corona apocalypse and the lockdown and quarantines and everything else going on in the world, Mark and I had been talking about him bringing back the Dr. Tongues segment here on Monster Kid Radio. A little bit more loosey-goosey, the format be a little bit different, but we were planning to have it come back, but then everything happened. And he's really got to focus most of his time on keeping his business afloat and totally understandable. I totally get it. I will make sure there's a link in the show notes to his website. It's just Dr. Tongue Toys. Dot com And that's Dr. SDR, not totally spelled out. Or just look him up on Etsy, which is where he does most of his mail order business. That's Etsy.com slash shop slash Dr. Tongue's Toys. Or just go to Etsy and type up Dr. Tongue and it'll come up. Or maybe even look at Mark Peterson. It might come up that way too. Either way, support him if you can. Check out what he's got. And as always, even if you aren't able to pick up anything or nothing's really catching your eye, Maybe somebody you know would be interested. So please consider sharing the link and letting folks know about Dr. Tongues. I had that shop. Mark, thank you for being part of Lucha de Mayo this year. And thanks to everybody for being part of Lucha de Mayo this year. Kenny, Frank, Jonathan, couldn't have done it without you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Stay tuned because, well, I've already started planning Lucha de Mayo 2021. This just into the MKR newsroom, the Nacelle Company, the production company that brought you the hit Netflix show, The Toys That Made Us, and The Movies That Made Us, has announced a drop date for their next big show, A Toy Store Near You. It can be seen starting Friday, May 29th on Amazon Prime, and for those of you that are not privy to the Amazon experience, it can be viewed for free on YouTube. Please subscribe to the Nacelle Company's YouTube channel so you do not miss an episode. The series will focus on small boutique pop culture and vintage toy stores, dealing with the fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic and the ways these resilient and sometimes wacky owners overcome adversity surviving in these trying times. The premiere episode, number 101, will focus on our good friend Billy Galaxy's Toys and Collectibles, based right here in Portland, Oregon. The series will not just deal with toy stores here in the U.S. A toy store near you will feature episodes with several shops in Canada, Japan, and the Netherlands. The series is slated for 50 episodes, that's 10 per season, and 50 different stores. My store, Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shop, is proud to have been included in this list of pop culture goodness. Our episode will drop sometime, hopefully, during the second season. That's it for now. This is Mark Dr. Tongue Peterson signing off. So, stay safe, mask up, and don't forget to wash your damn hands, you filthy ape. Come in, come in, come in, come in to mortuary of 18 living nightmares. Where Carlo Groom of Hollywood presents for the first time on stage, the fourth dimension. Can it be true that any volunteer will be decapitated with a meat cleaver? See it, hear it, and actually feel it. <laughs> Unbelievable, but true. 13, 14, 15 knives will be driven through the head of any unsuspecting person. If there is anyone left, after the crawling thing from Planet 13 creeps over the audience seeking fresh human blood. 
Look out for the monsters, skeletons, and other creatures flying above you, running after you to rip your flesh apart. Karakun, the master of horror, has more delicate acts. Lady Godiva on a white horse, drifting in midair. For those who will embarrass easily, blindfolds will be furnished free with peeking hold. In case you pass out during this triple horror science mystery show, that's tough. <laughs> Pleasant nightmares, friends. <laughs> Night of the Bloody Apes. See creatures that are half man, half beast. All horror. They rip, they tear, they claw you to pieces. The Night of the Bloody Apes makes you see the hell man creates for himself. The Night of the Bloody Apes. Welcome to Planet Apes. Every two weeks, the crew at Planet 8 Podcast explores the many worlds of science fiction, fantasy, superheroes, monsters, and more. We cover the latest movies and TV shows, as well as old favorites, too. Yeah, like Planet of the Apes. It's a manhouse! A Hey, guys, don't forget Star Trek. Fascinating. Or classic monsters like King Kong, Creature from the Black Lagoon, or Godzilla. <laughs> If it's nerdy or geeky, we'll probably be talking about it. So why don't you tune in and check us out? You can find us on iTunes or other fine podcast providers. Come join the conversation at our website, planet8podcast.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. This is Planet 8 Podcast, signing off and transmission. Welcome to a night of total terror. Night of the living dead. The dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. Shattering than your strangest nightmare. This weekend is another social distance Saturday screening. This time around, it is night of social distance Saturday. And I'm really excited because we are going to go ahead and pull out the granddaddy of them all when it comes to important public domain genre films. We're talking about the original 1968 film, Night of the Living Dead. No, it's not the first zombie movie. But it's one of the most important ones. And we're going to be showing that, as well as movies like The Blood Beast Terror, a short film called Waiting for Gorgo, an episode of One Step Beyond, and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. I'm looking forward to this weekend. As always, go to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio and subscribe and follow. And on Saturday, starting at 11 a.m. Pacific, 
the pre-show starts. And then at noon Pacific, the movies themselves will kick off. Stay tuned because tomorrow, Friday, I'll be posting the actual schedule. And then, like I said on Saturday, come on over. Join us for one movie or all of them and take part in the chat. There is an active chat going on the entire time. There's no talking during the movies, but I mean, you can chat it up with your fellow Monster Kids in the chat box while we watch these films. I'm looking forward to it. At least 10 hours of monster movies and even a couple of rounds of the Classic Five will happen. The Classic Five! And I look forward to seeing you virtually. I mean, I'm not actually looking at you. That would be weird. But virtually seeing you on Saturday. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks to everybody who was involved this week. And that includes you, dear listener, for downloading the show. If you are on social media, please consider sharing the post, retweeting tweets, and just letting everybody know about this podcast. Because the more listeners we have, the merrier it can be for everybody, right? That's how that works, right? The more the merrier, is that it? That sounded really awkward. Anyway, please let people know about the show by sending them to monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find everything you need to know about the podcast between episodes. You can even read it while you listen. I'm not going to tell you you can't. You know your rights. Who am I? Anyway, check out monsterkidradio.net. Our contact information is over there. Links to everything that we've talked about here on the show are over there. You're going to find an Amazon affiliate link to the incredible book, The Mexican Masked Wrestler and Monster Filmography by the late Bob Cotter. Check it out. It is the definitive text when it comes to these kinds of movies. And if you buy it through the Amazon affiliate link, we get like five cents or whatever because we are an Amazon affiliate. And anything that you can do to help us out, well, I appreciate. Thank you. You're also going to find links to Amazon to pick up my book, Monster Hunter for Hire, Supernatural Solutions, The Mark Temple Case Files, Volume 1. And you want to get in on that now because Volume 2 will be coming out later this year. And just a quick comment on our T Public shop. I received a message from somebody earlier today, in fact, and I'm going to email him back as soon as I get done recording here. T Public has been running a little bit behind with everything going on in the world. Obviously, their production has slowed down as they aren't able to have full staffing. And then, of course, the mail's a little bit slower, too. And they keep running out of masks. We did have some masks that you can pick up through the T Public shop because they are a third party that's all kind of, well, for lack of a better term, print on demand. We don't actually produce anything here. It's all manufactured and sent through TeePublic. So please be patient with them. If you've ordered a mask and they haven't gotten it to you yet, it's because they are just slammed with orders right now compared to what they normally have on staff. I've also ordered a couple of masks for myself and I haven't gotten them and it's been several weeks. So please be patient with them. I'm sure they're going to do right by us all. And even if they don't, TeePublic's been great to work with on the customer service side of things, at least with every issue that I've ever had with them, which are very few. They've worked really hard to make sure that I'm a happy monster kid. What's coming up next week here on the show? Well, I've got several possibilities. I've got three episodes in the can. Well, I need to edit them still, but I've got three episodes in the can ready to go. And if all goes well, I'm going to be recording again with somebody in two days. So I'll have plenty of material to pull from, but I haven't decided which one's going to go to air first. If you are a patron over at patreon.com slash monsterkidradio, you'll see that one of the tiers is the universal tier. This is the top tier to support Monster Kid Radio. And one of the rewards that comes with the universal tier are these irregular polls that I put out to, well, the patrons, asking them for how they'd like to see the show go. And this time around, very short turnaround time because next week, the next episode has to come out. 
This time around, I'm asking those patrons to let me know which episode they'd like to hear first in June. If you are a Universal patron, please uh, respond to the poll. Let me know what you want to hear. Now, all the episodes that I have in the works, they're all going to come out. It's just trying to figure out which one is going to come out first. Because, you know, I thought it'd be fun to put that out to the patrons and basically let them do some of my work. Anyway, that's what's coming up next week. I didn't really tell you, but something's coming up next week. It's not a luchador film. I can tell you that much. Also, I'd like to say thank you to Captain Kevin and the Wolf Eels for allowing us to use their entire album for any bed music that we want to use here on the show. Really appreciate their support of Monster Kid Radio. And like I said, you can check them out over on Amazon, Spotify, a number of other online outlets, including iHeartRadio. It's all out there. I'll make sure there's a link to some of these places in the show notes. Also, big thanks to the Russian surf band, The Terminators. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license, except for the song Aerodynamics. That is copyright 2017, The Terminators. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.